0: Thanks for tuning in to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast, Safe Talk, with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Good day,
1: everybody out there in podcast land. This is Jenny with JR's Hunt for Life, and our program is called Safe Talk. It's all about suicide prevention, suicide awareness, what we can do to help each other and to keep each other alive from this insidious thing called suicide. So today, I'm very excited. I waited a while to get our guest to uh, be available to come on with us. I'm very excited about it. You are going to love our talk today. Her name is Candace. That's all I'm going to give you right now. So first I'm going to give you my contact information. So get a pen or pencil and write this down. My email is JLH35 at Hotmail.com. We are under the name of JR's Hunt for Life all over the place, everywhere in social media. If you look up JR's Hunt for Life, you will find us. You will be able to message me, reach out to me, or any of our admins that we have throughout the United States. You can reach out to any of us anytime you need to. Um, with any questions, concerns, we are there only to help you all. My personal phone number in the United States is 307. 307- Two five nine six oh three two, and feel free to contact me uh, via that method if that works for you also, you can text me, call me, leave me a message if I don't answer right away, text me, uh and I will I always do I promise to get back to you so on to our guest, Candace, so Candace, how are you this morning? I'm wonderful, Jenny. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm better now that we finally get to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it's it's been a moment with scheduling. Yes, it has, but it was well worth it. So, Candace, do you have any contact information you'd like to share with the world?
2: Yes, um, folks can go ahead and reach me at Sarah, T-H-E-R-A, Expressions, E-X, P-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S dot com. That's our website. And they can also reach out to me through email at SarahExpressions at gmail.com. We are also on all social media platforms on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram and YouTube under Sarah Expressions Meditation. Well,
1: you know, what did we do without social media? What what did we do with it? <laughs> I mean,
2: yes. Oh social boy. media, it, it it's, it's a big gathering place. Yes, it is. And today we're going to gather
1: with all of our friends out there in podcast land. And they are going to be listening to our, I think it's our ninth episode. It's season three of Safe Talk. So, Candace, I want to begin with having you tell us a bit about where you are professionally, how did you get there, what do you do, what brought you to the point in your profession that you are today, and then we will get on with some information regarding what our program is about. So you go for it, Candice. The floor now is yours.
2: (laughs) All right. Oh, a big floor to talk about. Um, yes. <laughs> so I, you know, my life really started out. You know, I'm in my mid 30s, and my life really started out. I'm um, kind of in a colorful and a complex trauma state. So I grew up in a domestic violence household, and, you know, was privy to witnessing a lot of things that I shouldn't have seen, and that actually led me into getting into Psychology because I was really interested in learning about how the brain functions and how, how human behavior and human development can be, you know, interacted with when it comes to traumas and complex traumas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I ended up out of high school. I ended up putting myself into college, and I ended up getting my associate's degree and my bachelor's degree in psychology, And then I ended up going on to get my master's degree in social work. So I, from an early age, I decided that I wanted to help people. So I had determined that if I could just reach one person, if I could just make a difference in one person's life, then it was enough for me. So that is kind of the starting point of what led me kind of down this road and then um, I've been in the professional field for the last 18 years on and off in different arenas. I had worked in substance use facilities, psychiatric hospitals, prison settings, school districts, private practice, and then about 10 years into being in the traditional mental health world, I I was burnt out. I was burnt out. I was stressed out. I was overwhelmed. I'm trying to help other people and trying to help myself at the same time. And I ended up deciding to make a complete change in my life. Um, That actually led me on the path to where I'm at today. So about eight, eight and a half years ago, I had started my own company, Sarah Expressions Meditation, where we fused the holistic world of yoga, meditation, Ayurvedic Eastern medicine and mental health techniques with mental health components. So we are a mental health holistic health advocate um, directly here in Wyoming and the surrounding States of Wyoming. And Mm -hmm. our focus is helping people to work on their whole wellness, because I think what ends up happening in, you know, in mainstream today's mental health model is we're normally looking at group therapy, individualized therapy, and medication. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like right around that 10-year mark for me, I feel as though that model, data was coming out that that model was only around 63% effective. Talk therapy Mm -hmm. was only 63% effective. So I felt like I wanted to do more, I wanted to be more. And so I ended up starting my company and that's kind of how it kind of spearheaded into this, you know, big thing that it is now where we're helping people to tap into the trauma that is housed in the body. Because whether or not, if we, you know, if we talk about something that's traumatic in our life or we don't, it gets stored within the body, our Hmm. muscles, our tissues, our mind, all of it gets stored within the body, and then where does it go, right? So we have this mentality in society of just let things go, just, you know, shove it under the rug, move on. We have to keep moving forward. But I really feel like that mentality does not work in the sheer fact that if we are housing trauma in our body – We can't just let it go if we've already created an emotional attachment to it. That is kind of a big thing. So there's a lot of new age research that is going on right now out there, you know, with that idea, with that premise of we need to start tackling what's happening inside of the body. Mm -hmm. And we need to start addressing it from the root level instead Mm -hmm. of addressing it from the postvention level. So that's kind of how I, I came down this road of it all.
1: Well, that is such an interesting uh, journey <laughs> that you've taken to this <laughs> And I have to say we have, I believe, and since I met you, Candice, I remember you contacting me and asking me uh, about how you could help. Uh, the people on our uh facebook page uh our support page are the people in casper where we live. how can you join us and help and from that moment on um I have felt um a true connection uh with you and i I just found out one of the connections when you were telling your um education history and why is when i uh, married uh, my husband, um, I suddenly became aware that there were some things uh, not right in the man in his family, and there was a lot of ups and downs, and mm-hmm. um, anger and depression, and all of these things. And Candace, that was in nineteen early the early seventies. And that was before there was any diagnosis of bipolar or manic depression or anything like that. And I I knew something was wrong. And it was um, I wanted to help them so bad. And I wanted to understand it first so that I could help them. And I uh, found a book that talked about this new uh, research, and this new mental health, this new mental illness that was coming to light, and it was called Bipolar Manic Depression. And that was before it was in the DSM or anything like that. And I read this book, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's my <laughs> husband. And that, that's my <laughs> husband's brothers and his father. And, I mm-hmm. mean, it was it was amazing to me. So I went back to school because I wanted to help them and I wanted to understand them. And I got a psychology degree just like you. <laughs> Wonderful. For the same <laughs> Because we wanted to understand and we wanted to help. Um, and it was that simple. It was that simple. That was the driving factor. And I know it was with you too, now that I've heard your story on that. And... Um, I ha- I did not go on to get uh, a master's or any other further education regarding that. But I can tell you my life has been my education at this point. <laughs> and um, I love that you said that. I love that your primary goal is to focus on the root trauma. Uh, and I love how you explained it, that it's housed in this, um, you know, the Bible calls our body the temple. So, our bodies are temples, and that trauma and everything that we do and everything that we live and we experience is stored in our temple and um I like how you said that it it once it grows an attachment emotionally it's almost impossible to uh, to facilitate it to leave our body or to live healthy with it um I kind of envision like Pulling all the shades on the temple and putting putting the lid on, and now this this uh, everything that we've been through, the traumatic things can't get out uh, eventually the lid is the, it'll come to a boil, and the lid starts shaking, and the steam starts coming out, but it never ever fully escapes. Does that uh, sound like a good uh, uh, explanation to you?
2: Yes, absolutely, and I think that you made a very clear point with. You know, it it doesn't escape the body. So even if we address and we talk about trauma, we still have to address the remnants, the shrapnel of what I call it. Mm
0: -hmm. We still have
2: to address that piece in the body because the body, the body doesn't forget.
1: No, no. Uh, And the wounds inside the body are the ones you don't see. You don't physically see the wounds in your body until they start uh, coming out emotionally or your behavior patterns or anything like that. You just, people don't see those wounds and neither do you. Uh, You can feel them. They feel like wounds. They feel like you've been scraped and cut up and broken and all those things. But um, you have no way of knowing if they're healing because you cannot see them like a, a scrape then you can see the scab and you know when the scab falls off okay that one's that one's okay that one healed it didn't get infected but the wounds that we carry around oftentimes can get infected and they can start seeping and they can start uh, affecting the rest of your body as it you know as it goes through your body uh, we know infection will travel
2: through your body right? Yes, absolutely. And when we are experiencing high levels of stress, worry, tension, pressure, from an Ayurvedic standpoint, we would say that um, we have this saying, our issues reside in our tissues. And so a lot of times when we are not addressing or dealing with, you know, whatever it is that we might be going through, that can end up showing up in the body as Disease, It can end up showing in the body as inflammation, skin rashes, colds, flus, um, you know, any type of, of sickness or ailment that may come up. Um, all of that can be housed when we are not addressing high levels of, of challenge or suffering. And that right. can be seen as, um, as physical pain or physical disease or illness whether it be Mm -hmm. big or small yeah. because our our body is on the front lines of showing us that something is wrong. So even if our mind does not want to address whatever it is that's going on, our body is going to show us that whether we address it or we don't.
1: Right. And I imagine mental illness is right along with
2: that. Yes, absolutely it is. Right? Um
1: now Candace can you do you mind telling us some of the challenges in your life to get a, a little more specific regarding any any touches you've had with suicide in your family or friends and speaking of um your body and trying to deal with those challenges uh, uh, how have you dealt with that yourself specifically pertaining to what you are talking about that is holding in all of that trauma. So I imagine you've had some touches with suicide also, and I believe you agreed that
2: you could share that with us. Absolutely. Hopefully you didn't hear my bulldogs barking back there. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. We love animals. We love our pets. (laughs) Yes, I was like, okay, we need to quiet down, guys. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, you know, so the thing about it is is that suicide has touched my life personally all throughout my life. I've had uncles who have um who have gone down that road, I've had friends who have gone down that road. I've had classmates who have gone down that road. Um, you know, I grew up in a domestic violence household, so um suicide always kind of seemed to be a topic of discussion, right. um, my family members, my immediate family members, they would talk about it, but they would talk about it from a pain standpoint. They mm-hmm. didn't actually want to die, but they there were so many things that were going on in mm-hmm. in our personal home structure that um they were definitely what I call 90% of people. 90% of people just want the pain to go away. Right. You know, right. and then the other 10% are in a kind of a different wheelhouse, but all of the all of the individuals that have ended up you know, going down that road, they have yeah. all been men in my life except for um you know, this isn't a story that I share often. But it's definitely a story that I think is important, at least from not only from a suicide discussion, but from a mental health standpoint. I was working about 11, 11 maybe 12 years ago in a psychiatric hospital, and, and we were treating a 15-year-old girl. And, you know, she was, she was in a bad way. There were a lot of things that were going on. She was emotionally and mentally struggling, you know, and then you've got the system, right, the mental health system that comes into play and insurance companies that come into play. And we were trying to do everything possible to get her the best care, to get her into residential treatment facilities because we all knew on the team that if we did not do something that this young lady was going to end up going down that road of suicide. it it wasn't about a question of whether or not if she was going to do it, it was going to be a question of when, if we didn't get her help. Mm. So she ended up being in the psychiatric hospital for a really, a really extensive amount of time. And we, we worked with her extensively, you know, in therapeutic settings, group settings, occupational therapy, you named it. We, we put all of our resources into this young lady, and and then we hit a wall. We hit a wall with insurance companies. Insurance companies refused to pay for oh. her stay, so then, um, so then we weren't able to send her to a residential facility. And all we were able to do, my hands were tied at that point. The facility's hands were tied at that point. There was nothing that we could do because... You know, staying in a psychiatric hospital back then it was like three hundred and sixty four dollars a day, so you're roughly looking at around about ten grand once everything's said and done a month yeah. if you're going to have have a person housed in a in a psychiatric hospital. so her family definitely couldn't afford that, and insurance refused to pay because they said that she was not at risk anymore she was still suicidal but she wasn't making the statement that she was suicidal but she was still posing a lot of the signs and the symptoms that would reflect that we had a lot of concerns well Mm -hmm. since our hands were tied she ended up getting discharged out of the facility upon her parents request and what ended up happening from there was we basically piled on the extensive you know, the extensive resources, you know, Mm -hmm. intensive outpatient therapy, all the things, right, medications, all the things. Right. Well, there were other things that went into play with this, but um, about a year later or so of her getting discharged out of that situation, um, she had ended up going down that road of suicide at 15. Oh, my. Oh, my. And, you know, the reason, Jenny, why I bring – you know, I bring that part up is because in Wyoming specifically, we're in the top three, yes. for highest suicide rates, and we have been for several decades
1: yes and mm-hmm.
2: I feel like I feel like in that moment, I feel like the system did a disservice to that young lady and ended up tying providers' hands, facilities' hands, and they were making a choice and a decision based on a third-party perspective. And I feel like because because whatever was happening in that young lady's life, you know, after the fact, after she left, she felt like she had no way out. She felt as though she didn't have another option. Hmm. And And she specifically always comes to mind for me, after 18 years of being, you know, in this field, Mm
1: -hmm. she always
2: comes to mind for me because she was that one person that I feel like we, we could have done something or, you know, we could have changed something within the system. Mm
1: -hmm. But I
2: also, you know, she's also that one person that there's moments where, you know, you have a lot of heavy emotion in regards to not being able to do anything and feeling that powerlessness and feeling that loss of control, her family had reached out to me um, at, you know, before the funeral had taken place. And Jenny, I actually spoke at her funeral.
1: Oh, well, I, how, how did you do that? How how
2: did you, did you address any of that at her funeral or? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I legally, I wasn't able to explain no. who I was to her
1: mm-hmm. during
2: that time or, you know, I wasn't able to explain anything about, you know, the confidentiality side of it. I couldn't right. do that. So there were a lot of legal things that were put in place in order for me to even go and do that. Um, but I think that, you know, there was a moment where, you know, in in that funeral, because there were hundreds of people that were at this funeral, and there was a moment when I was up there speaking to everybody, and, you know, it wasn't so much about educating people in that moment, but it was more about remembering that young lady mm-hmm. and remembering what she stood for and remembering... You know how she had impacted everyone in a small amount of time, mm-hmm. but after that point, that's when um, actually it was after it was after that point that I had ended up leaving psychiatric hospitals because that that situation, you know, kind of broke you a little bit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I and I say that a little bit because I say it lightly because. I still get choked up about it.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I, I so appreciate you sharing that with us because everyone's journey is different and that I, I can hear, I can hear in your telling the story that that is part of what has brought you to this type of um, business that you have today. And that you so wanted to help people that you needed to figure out how can I do this and keep it ongoing and allow people to uh, exude health instead of trauma. Um, And I I can just hear that. I can hear that that may have started you on your journey. Is that the case or am I all wet? (laughs) <laughs>
2: no, no, not at all. I think that that was definitely a, I think it was a catalyst for me of several different things with, you know, burnout and stress and just feeling like the, the you know, the current mental health system in psychiatric hospitals, things like that. There's a lot of innovation that's happening in mental health hospitals right now, but at least, you know, at the one that I was working at, it it was a revolving door and not because you know, the facility wasn't trying or wasn't, you know, working really hard to try to do other things. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a revolving door system. And so I think that there were a lot of things that led up to that, but I definitely think that that young lady was a defining moment for me that I didn't want to be a part of that specific Mm -hmm. world anymore because I, I wanted to do something bigger Right. You wanted to
1: do something uh, deeper, actually. Yes. Um, yes. With, with Absolutely. humans. Absolutely. And
2: we're we're talking <laughs> root level, Jenny.
1: Yes, we are.
2: <laughs> yes, we are. And I,
1: you know, I I get that too, Candice. That's another um, another thing in our lives that connect because I did work in a mental health facility, not as a professional, but just as um just a worker that uh, would work with the uh, patients and make sure their daily needs were taken care of and, you know, they got to their dinner and their lunch and that they were um, behaving healthily and taking them to their meetings and their groups and everything. And I'm with you there, Candace. It is a revolving door. I worked there several months on a part-time basis and it. Uh, we would discharge people because their insurance ran out, and not not a few weeks later they would be back. And and I'm talking yes. adolescents. Yeah. Uh, I never worked with the adults, but children actually and adolescents. And it it does it does in a way uh, not break you, but it causes you to rethink uh, what's happening here. What's Why is this happening here? Why why do we keep them just until their insurance runs out and then let them go back to what I call the same sandbox that they've played in their whole life with, with the same family, the same friends, and here they come back a week or two later? So I thought, where is their escape? Where can they escape to a healthier place? You know, mentally, physical. What what can we do? And unfortunately, I I was just a worker there, and eventually I did um, quit that job. But it 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 was very disconcerting to me because I have worked in the criminal system most of my life, and I know all about recidivism. With um, you know, with with the criminal element and that type of thing, and that's the way I felt when I was in um, that mental health hospital working. I thought there's recidivism here. I mean, they're not criminals, but they, they they are there to get help and mental health help, and
2: nothing is helping. It it was quite eye opening to me. Yes, and, and I I you know I really truly think that that's what led me to, you know, building Sarah and I always call it you know I. I built my company in an orange corner of the world um but there really <laughs> is truth to that that all yeah. of the great wonderful ideas happened in my orange room mm-hmm. and I really truly believe that if you know if we're going to continue to evolve you know as a society we have to continue to be educating ourselves and we have to continue to be you know thinking outside of the box of you know certain things that aren't working versus certain things that are working and don't get me wrong you know I don't have any any qualms against you know the traditional mental health side um it mm-hmm. just wasn't specifically for me right and so so Candace then being that
1: you uh worked with that young lady and it was it was traumatic for you it was bothersome for you so how how did you or have you recovered from that? And what did you do? How how did you, based upon what you do today and how you've explained it, um, with the your body holding all of that in, what did you
2: do for yourself? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a part of what I ended up doing, Jenny, is I ended up furthering my education, right? Because we're always learning. We're always growing. And I've come to realize that I'm a lifelong learner. So... Mm-hmm. During, after all of that, you know, had happened with that young lady and me leaving psychiatric hospitals and going into some school district, um, you know, counseling social work stuff and starting Sarah, I had actually ended up at, at a, a monastery and a retreat center. I had ended up um, putting myself on a spiritual path, so to speak, and I ended up, learning about daily meditation, and learning about somatic reasoning experiences, and learning about polyvagal exercises, and had ended up learning about mindfulness, and I had always, you know, I I had started yoga in my early 20s, so it wasn't so much about learning yoga at that point, but it was about learning about trauma-informed care yoga, how trauma specifically sits within the body, and then I ended up you know, getting into Ayurveda Eastern medicine as well and just ended up getting lots of certifications and continued my educational growth in the last decade, you know, not so much, you know, still in the mental health arena and the psychological arena, but also moving over into that holistic arena of how does trauma get trapped within the body. And that's a lot of what we focus on with people is trauma-informed care yoga, mindfulness, meditative deconstruction, getting people to specifically understand what's the root level cause of what's going on and what is the role that we are playing in our life. Because I think it's really important, you know, that we basically, we gently rip the Band-Aids off and we start to address in certain key areas where the trauma is housed. Mm. And so with polyvagal exercises and somatic reasoning experiences, with the trauma-informed care yoga and deconstruction, we we have ended up focusing on the whole person, the whole system, not just the thoughts and the feelings, but the thoughts, the feelings, the physical, the spiritual and we have encompassed um, our community base around helping people empower themselves and taking an active step in, in their well-being.
1: Right, and and
2: uh, we uh, we both know
1: that the healthier you are as a human, you are going to be able to help other people also. Correct. Um, yes, and,
2: and I'm a I'm a very firm believer, Jenny, that if you are working with other people, and this might not be a popular opinion, but for me personally, if you are working with other people, you need to be also working on yourself, and you need to be taking care of yourself, and you need to be in a good headspace in order to sit in front of another person so that you're not transferring any emotional shrapnel on your end onto that person, and that's that's also what we incorporate in Thera is that radical transparency piece. There are ways to address hard conversations. There are ways to address, you know, where we house trauma within our body. And if we can tap into that, we can create a healthier youth.
1: Yeah. And a create. you can create a healthier home environment and family environment. Absolutely. And it just just radiates out from there. And I totally, I agree with you that you have to be on the road to recovery in order to help someone else be on that road. Um,
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And And I I think that
2: that's also a big key piece from, like, the mental health side of it, Jenny, is, you know, a lot of what I've seen over the last 18 years is, you know, there's a lot of burnout that's happening with providers that are working with people trying to help people. And that's why I made that comment about we really have to be taking care of ourselves in order mm-hmm. to take care of other people because um, provider mental health um, is on the rise as well.
1: Absolutely. And it it increased exponentially with COVID. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So many online providers now and ways to get help that you don't know uh who to look for, what to look for, are they actually uh a licensed or certified or qualified i mean, there there's so much of that going on out there that um I think that you have to somewhat be in control of your own um uh faculties. To know, do I have? Have I reached out to the wrong person? You know, as mm-hmm. far as looking for help and all of that kind of stuff. It, it's a very—it's not complicated, but it is. Uh, I don't know how to. Oh, absolutely.
2: It. <laughs> yes, it's a—it's—it's a, it's a slippery slope. Um, you know, I think that there's—I think that, um, you know, I was just looking at 2024's like marketing trends recently just to see, you know, kind of what's out there in the world. And actually, mental health and suicide prevention were actually at the top of the list for what we're going to start seeing people talking about and even talking at a bigger scale about. So that actually made me feel, you know, extremely excited that, you know, we're talking about mental health and, and suicide prevention and awareness. But if we can get it on a bigger scale and we can get more people talking about it and we can get more people involved, we really could make a very substantial difference. Yes, and I I
1: agree with that also. And I believe that the scope of treatment and uh, what what people do regarding how How they approach their own treatment or how they approach treatment for someone else or there's all types of, um, I guess, ways that you can look at trying to help yourself and others. And I just love what you're doing. We're going to wind down here. Let me take one minute, Candice. We're going to be quiet so that our sponsors can chime in here. So we'll take one minute in silence, and we'll be right back with Candace. Okay, we're back with Candace. And I, I find that this discussion and what you're doing is so intriguing, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be fairly new information to a lot of people that are listening. And I'd like, Candice, for you one more time to give your name, um, first and last name, if you don't mind, if you um, don't want to, no problem, but spell your first and last name and your business where people can reach out to you.
2: Absolutely. Um, Candice, C A N D A C E, Machado, M A C H A D O. And folks can go ahead and find me at Thera, T H E R A, Expressions, E X P R E S S uh, I O N S dot com. They can also reach out to me through email at TheraExpressions. At gnl dot com anytime, um, if they're looking for you know diving deep and looking into a root level cause, and they're wanting to do something that is um, not in a in a traditional therapeutic base, because um, that's what we do. Yeah, and you know that
1: brings to mind. Do you or have you thought about starting any satellite uh, studios? Uh, anywhere out of Wyoming or out of the city that we
2: live in. Has that been a thought of yours? Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So that is actually a direction that we already do. So we already um, have groups and we already meet privately with folks that um, that are outside of Wyoming, but um, come January, um, Jenny, come January, we will literally be at the click of a button, a fingertips for people. I can't go too far into it yet, um, <laughs> but we are going to be making ourselves extremely accessible to folks, oh, and so that will be uh, happening in January of 2024.
1: Oh, well, you know what that means. We're going to talk again. <laughs> 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 and another thing we're going to talk about next time is your trip to, where'd you go?
2: Uh, uh, we just got back from
1: Bali, Indonesia, yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk to you about that because that was an exciting time for you and some of your um, – uh people that um follow you and you went as a group and i'm sure it was a very healing experience for everyone exciting a new experience absolutely yeah and it took you out of your norm so to speak and um, introduced you to brand new ways of helping people and helping yourself. So we're going to schedule this again, Candice, and we're going to do it again. And I want to thank you so much for giving us this, this 40, 45 minutes of your time that you'll never get back again. But you have shared <laughs> with us and you have given us all great, great tips and information. And I am so much more curious now. So we will schedule this again, everyone. And thank you everybody for listening and being here again. Reach out to Candace or myself anytime. We are all that is why we do this. We are here for you. And that is that is just the bottom line. So anytime, everyone be well. And until we talk again, bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast, Safe Talk, with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Jenny Hunter is the founder of JR's Hunt for Life, a suicide prevention nonprofit movement offering hope and support globally. I'm Billy Floyd. I'm a podcast host, a media broadcaster, and most importantly, a positive influencer. Sounds of Soul Music is courtesy of Fearless Motivation. Find out more about JR's Hunt for Life at jrshuntforlife.org. If someone in your life is feeling suicidal, it's important to take immediate action. Here are some steps you can take to help. Number one, stay calm and listen. It's important to approach the situation with a calm demeanor. Listen to their concerns and validate their feelings. No judgments. Let them know you're there to help and support them. Number two, take it seriously. It's crucial to take any suicidal thoughts or feelings seriously. Don't downplay or dismiss their concerns, and don't promise confidentiality if you feel the person is in immediate danger. Number three, seek professional help. Encourage the person to seek help from a mental health professional like a therapist or a counselor. Offer to help them make an appointment and offer to accompany them to their first session. Be sure to follow through. Number four, call emergency services. If the person is in immediate danger, call 911. If it's safe for you, stay with the person until professionals are with them and continue to offer support. Number five, remove potential means. If you know the person has access to firearms, medications, or other potentially lethal objects, try to remove them from the person's immediate environment as long as it's safe for you to do so. If it is not safe for you to remove potential means, advise emergency services of the situation. Remember, Suicidal thoughts and feelings are a sign of intense emotional pain and should be taken very seriously. By offering support and taking appropriate action, you can help someone in crisis get the help they need. Another thing to know is that 988, the National Crisis Line, which used to be 1 800 Lifeline, Cannot track your location unlike 911. Therefore, they cannot directly send an ambulance to you and must make several phone calls to do so. Additionally, when you call 988, they will connect you to a regional crisis center based on the area code from which you were calling. So it's essential to know the appropriate crisis line to call based on your location and the level of crisis. If someone actually did something to try to not be alive, call 911 or take them to the ER. If they are thinking about doing something, consider calling 988 first. They can help you decide if you need to take additional steps. Action and ideas are two different things. You can learn how to tell them apart and what to do about it, as well as find more information and support around suicide prevention by joining our private Facebook group at JR's Hunt for Life, a confidential safe space where there's no judgment and talk saves lives.